0: Welcome to the Chasing Goodness Podcast. I'm your host Matt Kinzera Good to be with you today and I'm excited about this interview with Gideon Zhang today. Now I'm, I'm not going to share right here how I came into contact with him. We talk about that in the interview but this is just an incredible story about a guy who has been on this quest to discover like the truest most authentic beautiful form of himself he's still in process of that as I'm sure we all are on some way shape or form but there's so much great insight and so much wisdom that we can gain from what he's been through and what he's going through so with no further ado enjoy this interview with Gideon Sang. Gideon great to have you on the show today and as I was mentioning before I hit record on this a friend of mine introduced me to you by giving me the 40 days on being a seven kind of, I guess, I don't know. I don't have a better word to describe it other than a Enneagram devotional. And this friend of mine gave it to me because she knows that I'm a fairly introverted person. And I also identify with the Enneagram seven, which I don't know, a lot of ways makes me feel like a fish out of water. Like so often I feel like the the guy that doesn't belong. And so you know, anytime somebody recommends or gives me a book, I, I try to honor them by reading it or listening to that podcast. They recommend no matter what their viewpoints are. And so I wanted to honor this woman because I think highly of her. And if she thinks this represents me in any way, shape or form, then I wanted to give it a try. And from the, from the get go, like from the first few words that, that jumped off the page, I was, I was hooked and I went through all 40 days. I probably went through the 40 days and 30 days because that's how it resonated with me. And so then I was so excited when when I reached out to you and you're willing to have a a conversation. So welcome to the Chasing Goodness podcast. Why don't you just kick it off by giving everybody a a short introduction to maybe who you are, a little bit of your background, what have you.
1: Yeah, well, thanks for having me. Thank you, friend, to recommend that book to me.
0: Her name is Diane Bryant, and she listens to the show. So I want to give her Plenty of uh, kudos for it. So,
1: yeah, thanks, Diane. Um, a bit of introduction. Uh, I live in Austin, Texas. I've been here for 22 years now, uh, originally from Canada. Uh, my parents are immigrants from Hong Kong. Somehow they forged a the life for themselves in the late 60s, which is still insane to go. I'm going to fly across the world. There's no internet. And then they show up in the middle of Canada. <laughs> <laughs> You know, they come from a tropical island and then they land in like the Arctic.
0: Yeah. That <laughs> makes total logical sense. Brilliant.
1: Yep. And then, you know, uh, somehow I came into the world in this strange Arctic place. That's really <laughs> not where my people are from. <laughs> lived in the cold, lived in Canada, you know, moved around quite a bit. And when I moved to, you know, then I my way down to Austin was Chicago, Detroit, still cold climates. And I remember when I landed in Austin in 99, I didn't even know, but my body was just like, uh, and I think it's just generations of my people are from the climate I live in now. So I just think that's interesting. I led spiritual communities for 20 plus years. It was my way of working out my personal idealism and wrestling with my faith forging you know, my parents come from a fundamentalist Christian background and trying to wrestle with the limited capacity of my father to actually show love to me. So I didn't have words for any of this. But looking back in hindsight, 20 years of being in faith communities, starting my own, bumping up against institutionalism, all while trying to live, I would say, a pretty young black and white worldview and it feels it's partly feels embarrassing partly feels developmentally appropriate you know really fighting for black and white views of justice Mm -hmm. of what what i thought the church could be and then it took you know 20 some years for me to run out of myself (laughs) or this good way to put this this surface self that was really externally expressed but really working through some deep deep internal things that needed healing so uh, i'm no longer doing that i'm now uh, consulting doing some writing uh, pursuing photography as well you know i thought i was done unpacking some of that stuff and it's resurfaced again in the last couple weeks but that's probably more than you're asking for but
0: um, it's not, I'm, I'm yeah. asking for whatever you want to give. So there's no more yeah. or less. I, I appreciate that. One of them, um, you know, you mentioned your, your father, which you you know, allude to him a number of times in the Enneagram book that you did. Do you mind sharing a little bit of the story? Cause I think one of the parts that, that really resonated with me, that made sense to kind of the way that I engage with the world was the story about your dad at the swimming pool where I believe he pushed you in the pool. Do you mind sharing just a little bit about that story as a reference of, of kind of how you move in the world?
1: So I love my father. Uh, he did the best he could and really coming from his background, he was born into war when the communist regime took over. They were middle-class landowners and they lost everything. His father left. He escaped himself as a refugee and landed in Hong Kong. That was his context. And so whether it's conscious or not, I think most of his life, he's seen life like a war. And I think he thought the loving thing to do would to prepare me to be strong, uh, to be able to fight. Underneath that means to not feel. And so in the book, I tell the story of we were living in South America at the time, and we would go to this beautiful resort. It's kind of where the expats hung out, And they had a gorgeous swimming pool, kind of looked like a fancy hotel. We would drink young coconuts, you know, they'd cut it in half. And drink. And I couldn't swim at that time. and was kind of nervous about learning how to swim. And one day he goes, you know, Hey, getting, you want a Coke? I would love a Coke. He's like, all right, let's go get a Coke. And so as we're walking down the pool to get a Coke, I'm excited. My dad wants to treat me. He's going to buy me a Coke. As we're walking, he just pushes me in the water. You know, so when you're five years old, it feels like your dad just tried to kill you. So just imagine, even as an adult getting pushed in the water and I couldn't swim. And so you kind of like instincts kick in and I splash my way to the edge of the pool and he had this big smile on his face. And he was like, I knew you could do it. I knew, you know, you're strong. You're a fighter. He still tells the story to this day as something he's proud of like that he's a, he's a good that was good parenting.
0: <laughs> I believe cuz if I remember in the book I think you referenced that he was telling your children this story. Yeah, right? that's right. Yeah, <laughs> as yeah. if it's, it was some just... great great parenting uh yeah. <laughs> ideal. <laughs>
1: yeah. And my kids were like kind of <laughs> fucked up. <laughs>
0: And then, so, so then share what you feel like how that kind of prepared you for the world, because even though that you wouldn't identify that as like a great, great, uh, maybe parenting, you know, idea, like you describe it as a bit of like your ability to be able to, to respond to, to whatever happens.
1: Yeah. So in crisis, it's kind of useful. It basically taught me to disassociate. So when crisis comes, I look so calm. But what happens is I've disappeared. Like I'm not there anymore. So there was a time we were in Afghanistan visiting some friends and it was our last night. And so we were with um, some German folks, some Americans, and it was just like a night of fun, food. It was kind of our last night together. We were playing board games. And then as the night was winding down, we were on the second story. We were going down the stairwell to leave and all this smoke started coming up, Like we, we could see flames. Hmm. And so there was another stairwell and then we just sent all the families and kids down the other stairwell. And then I instinctively, like without even thinking just walked into the fire and it ended up being more dramatic than it actually was. There was a, You know, there's stone buildings, so it wasn't going to catch on fire. There was a curtain that caught on fire with a candle. So the curtain was up in flames. And so we kind of put it out. But one of my friends said, you walked up with a bucket of water and handed it to me. Like you were, you know, just tying your shoes to leave. And I was like, oh, yeah, I disassociated. It's kind of useful in times of crisis but it's not a healthy way to live your life. It took me quite a while to figure that out.
0: Yeah, I think that part of the book was so meaningful to me because I've often looked at that, like I identify so deeply with that portion of your story and I've always looked at it as a bit of a strength. But then when I look at my life and see some of my struggles relationally, I can Mm -hmm. see how that exact same thing has become such a, a challenge because when you disassociate relationally to handle whatever is going on, it creates problems. When you disassociate in crisis, it can be a, a good thing. But that's—I think—that's why that part, you know, stuck out to me. Now, you were a, a pastor of a faith community for quite a while. Oh. First of all, pretty exciting. You've been in Austin for a while, but I think you said the word out or about just a little while before and, uh, and definitely a Canadian. So that's awesome.
1: <laughs> Good. I'm,
0: I'm glad it's still, there. it's still there. It's still there. But I think a lot of people would probably be interested to hear a little bit about kind of your transition out of, I guess what I'll call you know, professional ministry work, maybe to kind of the life that you're living now, because, and I have a similar story. Like I was in, I was in pastoral roles, worship leading roles, chaplain roles for a long time. And then at one point in my life just needed to, you know, get out of that space, but didn't want to lose myself because there was pieces of me that I, I, I loved being in that space. There was just a a bigger piece that couldn't stay there. So maybe first share what it was that caused you to leave that role or leave your your space as a as a pastor and then what the journey was like moving away from that space because you did it for a long time
1: yeah i did it for a long time (laughs) (laughs) yeah the story is so intertwined with my being who i am not what i do so I started a church in 2006. And then you fast forward to 2020. September, we're six months-ish into COVID. You know, the world had fallen apart. Right before the world fell apart, about a year prior, my life fell apart. It was like the world mirrored what was happening internally. So the quick of it, is I believe, and this is just my story, to try to f- get the affection my father could never give me. So, you know how that works. You know, when you have a parent or a guardian when you're young that withheld love, the one who gives you love, you're kind of good with it. So, you're not chasing. Many people I didn't know, I should look for that, the one who gives me love. But as a kid, it's just all subconscious. And so people go into abusive relationships. So I I actually did that as well. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I went into a marriage where love was withheld. I went into a career that really, in hindsight, was my father's dream, not mine. I was living someone else's dream you can only do that for so long. And I, I, you know, I think that's pretty common and you can only do that for so long until the whole thing cracks. When you're young, your body can recover. So you just, you know, keep doubling down. You're keep digging going. that hole. Yeah. You just dig that hole deeper and deeper. And for me, everything, it just stopped working. I just ran out of energy. Probably the best way to describe it is, you know, I, I, went in for couples therapy, you know, convinced my ex and we did it for two or three years and I'm still with the same therapist. And she said, Gideon, when you came in the door, your life force was gone.
0: Hmm. Did she know she- you previous to that or no? Okay. Nope. She could just nope. sense it.
1: Yeah, no. She's like, it was like the walking dead came huh. in, just nothing. So what happened was my marriage fell apart or I finally had the courage to see something I was hiding from myself, that I was in a dead marriage. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I gave it everything I could to try to repair it. And so as I was going through divorce, I don't recommend getting a divorce as a pastor. You know, I I don't wish a divorce on anyone. It's brutal. It really is brutal. So while that was happening, I didn't realize that I knew part of my job as a pastor was to get projected onto. But when your life falls apart and you're, all you've got is your humanity, turns out a lot of people can't handle it. You know, they call a divorce a living death. So just pick any other living death, you know, losing someone, having a child die, having severe health, cancer, you know, like I'm not equaling all of those, but it's just right. an, an intense situation. In any other situation, people come around you with compassion and somehow you lead a community so that when there's crisis, there's support. And it was most glaring. You know, I was in New York when COVID happened, when they shut down New York city, Hmm. I was in the Judd foundation. and The woman goes, this is the last tour indefinitely. Wow. Oh shit. (laughs) I flew back on a packed plane, maskless. I had a middle seat. So I quarantined for two weeks after two weeks, Austin shut down. So I went six weeks, you know, I was newly single. I went six weeks without seeing anyone. And I watched my community support each other. I was still with the community at the time. And I was like, Oh, you know, this is great. There's a support system here. And not one person called. me.
0: And you were the, like the lead pastor of the community. Of the lead pastor. Yeah.
1: So back to my dad, I learned at a young age, if I just gave away myself, perhaps I might be loved. I think I started a church in hopes that, again, it has to do with my dad, but somehow that I'll also be loved. And it turns out it's not a great strategy for love. I don't actually blame <laughs> the, the congregation or the community. You know, I started it. That's the system that was in place. But I needed, I needed to confront what I was unwilling to look at. And so through a great deal of pain, you know, it was hard. It was brutal. I've heard Brene Brown recently talk about, she told us to her kids, she's like, these are the people you want in your life, the people you want as friends. So you've got this light inside you. There's this little flame that's alive. It's your spirit. It's your soul. When life gets a little windy, those people come and kind of cover the wind. They're not there. They're not your friends. Then sometimes when your life your, your flame gets big. Those same people help blow on the fire. They're celebrating your flame. It took a lot of pain for me to realize that this community was neither of those things. And I was done. Um, it was scary. I've never quit anything in my life before. Because again, I was you know, raised to be good at war. <laughs> mm. And I quit without any plan.
0: So you had, you had zero plans. You just knew that you couldn't. zero plans. Yeah. Perfect. Yep. Perfect. That yep. that sounds like an Enneagram seven thing to do. <laughs> well played. <laughs> yeah.
1: Two weeks after I quit, I've been seeing a massage therapist for several years because my body was carrying all this. I bet I go in to see her and she's like, Gideon, what's going on? I was like, I don't know. She's like, are you doing new exercises? Anything changed?" She's like, your body feels your, I've never felt your back like this. It feels incredible. Like all the tension's gone. I was like, Oh yeah, I quit my job.
0: <laughs> <laughs> How long after you quit was that, that two massage? Weeks. Okay. Two weeks, two weeks. So then where do you go from there? So you're, you quit your job that you've had and you pastored that community since 2006, right? So yep. this has mm-hmm. just happened in 2020. So, yep. so then what, like, what did you do? where did you I, mean, I don't know how else to ask it. Where, where'd you go from there? Cause you had this long-term marriage that was no longer there. You had this long-term career that was no longer there. You're kind of out there on this Island by yourself in the middle of COVID being a reality in our world. So where do you go?
1: So I didn't know this. So there's knowing and there's knowing about, I knew about death or resurrection. I taught it. I spoke to hundreds of people mm-hmm. for decades I knew about it, and then I lived it. That's why these stories, we still tell them. We still talk about them. It's the deepest human truth from our tradition. It's in one symbol. It's one symbol. You don't even need all these words. It's right. Christ on a cross. And it's showing us the deepest human truth. Again, he says, it, I've come so that you can have life, life to the full. The kingdom of God is here and now. I taught it and then I lived it.
0: Yeah. When I was doing a episode of this, cause I think a lot of people struggle with, you know, Holy week and Easter when they're kind of maybe struggling through their faith or have gone through a crisis of faith or pastors who have left their positions or whatnot. And then Easter is this one thing that we've got to kind of try to figure out what we're going to do with it. You know, and even more so than Christmas, I think of just, what are we going to, what are we going to do with this, this resurrected Jesus idea? And and we can talk all day about it, but the, but in that podcast, I just talked a lot about like, we can have different opinions of how we want to look. You can celebrate or not celebrate. That's up to you. But at the end of the day, death and resurrection is what we can learn. And and you can learn that from the entirety of the Bible over and over and over again, death and resurrection, death and resurrection over and over and again. And, and that to me, you know, in the midst of the death, that brings a bit of hope or maybe enough energy to keep moving or, you know, in the midst of our world today, that that gives us a little bit of energy to, to believe that there's a better tomorrow, you know? So I appreciate you bringing that up.
1: Yeah. You know, the surface self has to die. It's not going down without a fight.
0: <laughs> That's so
1: true. And, and it's not for the, you know, faint of heart. It really, it's a, it's the hero's journey.
0: It is. And I think a, a lot of us, you know i'll include myself in this at certain times in life but i think we we fight so hard against that death and we fight to either not experience it or avoid it at all costs but the reality is that it's only through that death that resurrection occurs and so we can kick and scream and fight but we're just like pushing off the inevitable which is not a bad thing it's all it's actually something that's leading to a lot of beauty so
1: <laughs> it's hard to say this to many people but i feel born again
0: so describe and, that. What what do you mean when you say that? Because some people will hear that and they will they'll shut off the podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's
1: again, it's the deepest human truth to come alive to yourself, to allow your soul to come forth, to align the external and the internal. Where for me for years there was this there is so there's 20 versions of myself. And I would tell these stories of mm-hmm. there's this Gideon for this community, there's this Gideon for this community, this, you know. Cause I was hiding. Yeah. Now there's just, now there's just me.
0: I love that. And I, I bet everybody listening to this podcast can relate to what you just said, because we, that's just part of what we do. We give a, a different version of ourselves to whoever we're in front of at the moment. When you do that, what I've discovered is when you do that long enough, especially in faith-based settings, I think, but I think just in any setting you could use family or any other thing in, involved as well. The longer you do that, The farther away from yourself you get. And to the point when, again, I bet some people listening have no idea even what that means, like who who they are in the midst of career, family, in the midst of so many people pulling at them, wanting them to be a certain way. And so it takes an extreme amount of bravery and guts for a person like yourself to let go of so much in order to find that space, you know, and it's exciting to see, you know, the freedom that you feel in it.
1: Yeah. I told my therapist, I was like, you simultaneously fucked up and destroyed my life and saved me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Death and resurrection said in just yeah. a different way. I appreciate mm-hmm. it. So you do all sorts of things now, everything from art to bicycling to, you know, all sorts of various things professionally. And as you're doing that, as you're kind of, you know, moving around this world, like, a newly freed Enneagram seven, which is a dangerous thing and a beautiful thing all at the same time. Like, what are you discovering about yourself? And maybe what are you discovering about the the world that you're moving in?
1: Yeah, I think I'm discovering that life is discovery, that life isn't a problem to be solved. It's a life to be lived. You know, Eckhart Tolle gives this metaphor of, you know, when you go into a forest that's ungroomed, it looks like chaos because there's things dying, things coming to life. But there's an order to it, that our mind, which prefers a groomed garden, black and white, but life isn't a groomed garden. And so I spent most of my life trying to, if I just figure this garden out and have it set, I'm done. And so I think my life just, it kind of feels like a forest. There's things dying, there's things coming alive, (laughs) and You know, there's little moments of humor. So I'll tell you what happened. It's kind of embarrassing. but So I quit. And my my goal was I'm just going to embody myself fully in each moment. The best I can. Mm -hmm. Still not that good at it, but working, you know, just to, that's all I have. It's the only space, you know, Techno Han says the only space we have dominion over is right now. And I was just going to practice that That as my embodiment, the kingdom of God, eternity, all, all the stories point to this thing. You know, so sometimes it's scary and I woke up, I I have a job, I don't know what I'm going to (laughs) do. And then this is where it really tells like a joke. So one day soon after I quit, this agent contacts me and says, would you like to model? (laughs) And I was like,
0: (laughs) I didn't see that
1: coming. <laughs> yeah. I was like, ah, sure. Why not? <laughs> so it'd be like, you know, Gideon was a spiritual leader, started a church, was a pastor for 20 years, quit his job, and now he's a model. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny, it's embarrassing. And it's just for me. There was something healing about it, because one just life isn't that serious. It really isn't. And to be a model, you, you do nothing. You literally don't do anything. <laughs> like you just show up. And for me, it was like, and there's value in that, where I killed myself for decades, doing, 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 sacrificing, which only leads to resentment. Yeah, and that's a part of the unfolding story, which is still unfolding.
0: As we bring this home today, there's a couple things in my conversation with Gideon that really jumped out at me. And the first, and I know a lot of us already know this, but sometimes the journey to our truest, most beautiful selves, sometimes that journey just can be brutal and difficult and challenging. And that's okay. That's part of life, right? And that doesn't mean that we're not headed in the right direction. And then second, and maybe the most important part is that it's so important to evaluate why we're doing the things that we're doing Gideon mentioned that he felt like 20 years of his life 20 years of his career was not his own dream but living out his father's dream and so for us Let's think about why we're doing what we do. Is it something that truly resonates with the the innermost parts of who we are? Or is it something that we're doing to get other people's approval or whatever? You know, you can fill in the blank for yourself, but really checking our motives, checking kind of the deepest, most foundational parts of why we live our lives the way we live them. Special thanks again to Gideon Zhang for being on the show today. You can find him at his website, which is just GideonZang.org, which is G-I-D-E-O-N-T-S-A-N-G. Also, highly recommend the book I mentioned, How I Found Him, 40 days on being a seven now of course there's 40 days on being a one two three four five you know all of the enneagram numbers so grab whatever one applies to you or to your loved one i'll put a link to where you can find those in the show notes and of course i'll put a link to gideon's website as well you can always support this podcast by subscribing to it giving it a five star rating and writing a review you can find me on social media both on instagram and facebook at Matt Kinzara on Facebook. You can also find this show, which is Chasing Goodness. And until next time, let's keep chasing goodness together.